0: Yeah, I can't talk right now.
1: All right, welcome. Happy Thursday. I'm Bob Krell, I'm founder and publisher of Healthy Indoors Magazine, and I'm your host for today's broadcast. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Whether you're joining us online on our online Healthy Indoors Global Community or through various number of other social media platforms such as LinkedIn, Facebook, and yada, yada, um, welcome. Uh, If you are on the global community, uh, we have a chat box there. So you're welcome to uh, pose questions and or comments and we'll try to get them online. Uh, today's guest is the president of Indoor Environmental Engineering, a San Francisco-based indoor air quality consulting firm. Uh, he's been doing it 35 years um, or more. Uh, he, as, he's been an IAQ researcher, an IAQ investigator, a healthy buildings design consultant, and an expert witness. Please welcome Mr. Bud Offerman. Great to have you back on the show again. Okay. <laughs> Live from San Francisco.
0: Yes. Home of the Grateful Dead.
1: There you go. There you go. And you have you always been in San Francisco?
0: I moved from um, Carrier Country, Buffalo, New York, home of Willis Carrier, Mm -hmm. and uh, who worked at Buffalo Forge. But they thought that air conditioning thing was a stupid idea, so he moved
1: to Syracuse and started a small Carrier. Out with the psychrometric thing, you know, made sense. Yeah,
0: I moved out from Buffalo in 1979, newly married, and uh, a big deadhead, and uh, so San Francisco it became.
1: Makes sense. Makes sense. And I knew that, actually. I remember we've had discussions in the past that you are originally an an East Coaster, uh, upstate New Yorker. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I had
0: uh, ice on the inside of my window bedrooms, that thick,
1: you know. (laughs) <laughs> there you go yeah it's, the, the climate here is uh, is, is interesting and, and which comes to today's topic you know today's uh subject which uh you aptly uh put as spray polyurethane foam insulation a great air barrier and thermal insulation product or your worst nightmare which is like you're not you're not shy of putting out uh controversial titles you've done that before
0: no um some some people describe terry brennan as a really nice soulful guy and it buds Bud's good too, but he's a little sharp.
1: You yeah, know, I could be okay, sharp. Or, yeah, we had Terry on a few weeks ago and I've known Terry for years too. I, I wouldn't so I still don't see you as sharp. Like you're not abrasively oh. sharp. You're you're sharp as in really sharp to the point, you know. It's yeah. Like,
0: and yeah, and, and like um, when I did my snake oil article, I mean I just needed to get the word out, you know, to the kids and stuff, mm-hmm. the school districts. And and so that's still working. Um I'm doing a lot of testing. Of ionizers and you know um, other kind of devices uh, that schools have been put in um, around the country, so that's a big part. Yeah,
1: and you so you started your your tour as a researcher at Lawrence Berkeley Labs, right? That's where you yeah,
0: were. I that's yep, I got my start there at LBL.
1: Yep, and uh, so that like how many years did you actually work as a researcher? Because I know you before uh, you went to private there, sector,
0: you know five years. And um, I decided, you know, I was kind of hitting the glass ceiling a little bit. I needed to get a graduate degree. Wanted to go to UC Berkeley because it's right down the hill from Berkeley, um, um, LBL, uh, but couldn't get into Berkeley. So I had to go to Stanford (laughs) and um, ended up going to Stanford to graduate school. And then uh, when I got out of graduate school, worked a little bit at like a quote consulting company I learned how to make write a proposal, how to build clients, and that's when I really started indoor environmental engineering and got employees in that. But I actually started um, indoor environmental engineering when I was at LBL studying. Uh, it was actually on air cleaners. We were studying air cleaners for control of radon progeny, Okay, you know, like a research center, not just air cleaners. Mm-hmm. And then it was the Federal Trade Commission, and there were these little – Devices that were basically just centers, they put scent in the air. And mm-hmm. so, um, I was on 60 Minutes with Dan Rather.
1: And oh, had- oh the, the, the things that did the uh, the esters for the just the odors, and yeah, there.
0: they just had a citrus pad in the bottom. Mm-hmm. Like Norelco was one of the companies, uh, they were like cost 5.99 you know, mm-hmm. they were just cheap things. But the Federal Trade Commission, unlike today, they stepped up and did something, and so. If any of you FTC people are out there, where are you today?
1: (laughs) Well, you asked that question when you were on last year on the, you know, talking about the ionizers. You're right. Exactly.
0: And, um, you know, um, billions and billions of dollars later of devices that are at best iffy and potentially um, maybe not good um, sold to school districts. And so there's a big class action suit now to recover that money for you and me, because it's our tax dollars, right? And um, yeah, most of these devices that I've in, in investigated don't do a lot for SARS-CoV-2 and potentially can cause some um, adverse health effects themselves, so the best yeah, and thing is- and That's a big to close point. Out. The best thing, of course, put in your MERV 13 or better filter. Mm-hmm. That's the way to go. You don't need any uh, uh, for air cleaning, UV, ionizers uh pco any of that stuff Mm
1: -hmm. but that's not to say those technologies aren't don't have a a place right and a purpose it's just that there were there were companies that rushed to market during the pandemic to you know push some technology out making some grandiose claims
0: well i i I gotta say this that i haven't seen any of those and we call them additive technologies Mm -hmm, right add things to the air in the the, the in the purpose to inactivate or whatever. I haven't seen any that uh, uh, provide any uh, benefit that you wouldn't get at a much, much cheaper cost than just a pleated air filter like a MRF-13. So that said, I mean, okay. UV has its place for like surface disinfection, sure. but really, uh, uh, and then even upper room UV, um, it's not so controlled. There's not a fan. Right. So Right. That's, this is my professional opinion: is that I stick with the portable air cleaners mm-hmm. that have HEPA filters, uh, or MERV 13s in your main system, and avoid the other bells and whistles for now.
1: Okay. I mean, right. and, and that's reasonable. And, and I know that was uh, there you know there was quite a fervor you know w- when you you published that article. We posted okay. it. Um, yeah, a lot, lot, lot of, lot of commentary about that uh that article and the subsequent commentaries from that from that article we went went all over the internet
0: rapidly immense support from all the international community of researchers at getting to work out a lot of the people are been scared because there's been a lot of lawsuits right sure and um and so they've been scared to step forward um I made the decision that I was going to put it out, so I did. But let's let's go back to SPF.
1: <laughs> yeah, let, let because that's that's really the uh, the crux of the story for today. Yeah. So, um, you uh did a remote presentation at Indoor Air Twenty Twenty Two. You weren't actually in Finland, but you streamed to them on the chemical emissions uh, from spray polyurethane foam insulation in residences. Yeah. So you did, uh, and you did a study I, I
0: stand with Ukraine, right? So, yeah, I didn't go to uh, Quopio. Um, I've been to every indoor air conference that happens every two or three years for, I don't know, 30 years. But I wasn't really ready for with COVID and then the whole Ukraine situation, a little too close. Um, but um, yeah. I did. It was a great conference. And all of you listeners, you need to go to the site, download the papers. There's a lot of good information
1: so, so your presentation wasn't a long presentation. I watched the video that was uh, published on YouTube. Yeah, there's,
0: um, I gave you, you the slide deck, but you know, maybe only a couple slides are worth showing, like maybe a picture of the foam, which is I think the next slide. So, here, here, so for those of you that don't know, this is a great insulation product when it goes in right. The problem is uh, if it doesn't go in right, it's really hard to get out. You can see in this photo, this is a, a typical installation in an attic, and so up against the roof deck, you can see the white foam. It's mixed on site. There's a bare uh, your 55-gallon drum out in the truck, a truck of isocyanates. These are really toxic, but never a problem after application. Only a problem for the guy spraying it. And Bob, you have some experience with that, right?
1: Yeah. So I mean, I, I mean, it, it's it's interesting. We did uh, back in. Earlier in my career, in the uh, 2008 through 2012 window, we got involved uh, with our company doing uh, basically uh, building performance work. Yeah. So we, uh, yeah, we did spray foam. I mean, I, I actually personally did about 200 applications myself. So, so I've I've had the opportunity to see what can go wrong with it too.
0: Right. Um, and, and
1: as a consultant, I know you mentioned this in the pre-show that you've been called in on numerous properties that had issues, as have we. You know, where there's subsequent off-gassing and people say they can't live in the space or, you know, work in the right. space. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, right.
0: so it's a thing, challenge. The thing is, uh, the, the two components, A, the isocyanate, it's super toxic, like super glue stuff, right? And, uh, as you, you know, you had to have, like, you know, serious respiratory protection and stuff, supplied air for the applicator. But it's very reactive and the isocyanates go away. It's all in the other 55-gallon drum, the, the resin drum which has the polyol, the resin that reacts with the, the isocyanates forms the foam, but also the fire retardants, surfactants, and all the additives. And that's the issue. Now, up front, I've got spray foam in my house. This, um, my home was built in 1888. It's a uh, uh, Victorian in San Francisco, like uh, looks like one of the painted ladies. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I sprayed the underside of my roof deck. I remember calling Betsy Stebrook up. And uh, Joe's wife, and I said, hey, you know, the roofer wants to put vents in my attic now that I've, you know, cathedraled up and put the foam mm-hmm. in. And she goes, why do you want to put vents in? And mm-hmm. uh, we well, said, you should put, he said, so, no. So my roof runs a little hotter, probably. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, I'm in San Francisco. I'm good right now. But it's the B side of the foam that, um um, and, and and I don't think the liability for these cases where, and these people, this isn't just like a few days after it's installed. We're talking 8, 10 months after it's installed. It smells, sometimes you get the fishy smell, but mm-hmm. most all of them say fresh paint. Mm-hmm. It's not a real obnoxious odor, but the eye irritation the nose irritation, mm-hmm. and I'll get to this a little bit later, is a result of alachloride chloride, which is a breakdown of the fire retardant, which is TCPP. And um, yeah, so it's these two things get mixed on site. So is it the mixing off ratio? I suspect sometimes, but I don't think the liability is necessarily the, uh, 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 the manufacturers, because my impression is that the prevalence of these bad foam jobs is not very high um, in the, per, you know, low percentage number. The problem I have is when you does go bad, this is very sticky stuff. It's almost impossible to get out. And the for sure repair plan is to remove the foam and the substrate, because we've done some data where actually the foam chemicals, Once if you were to take them out, the substrate, the plywood or whatever you've sprayed it on to absorb some of the chemicals. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the it's an expensive repair plan. Sure. A big plan would be okay. If I remember, an attic, and I got the foam. Maybe instead of taking it out and taking what the whole roof truss out and everything, that's a hundred percent works. I mean, just like you know, if you had a moldy home, if you tear the home <laughs> down,
1: that works, right? <laughs> sure. It's it's not necessarily the cost-effective way to approach it. Right, but right. It's an option. Uh,
0: but it, but it's a guaranteed thing. Now, the uh, the other way would be to maybe uh, that I, this is the B plan, so to speak, is screw in foil-faced gypsum wallboard uh, uh, against the roof joists. Uh some kind of a vapor and permeable va-
1: Yeah, non-permeable.
0: But some barrier. And it's not gonna be hundred percent, but it could be you know high nineties and get you where you need to go. And you just leave it in place then. So
1: we found a coating and I can't remember the name of it. This oh. was years back on a project we were on. It was it was an acrylic latex based coating, I believe, but it was used for uh, for gas permeance through slabs. Yeah. And, yeah, and I probably. cannot remember the brand name, but we actually tested it with some failed uh, SPF yeah. and, and actually coated it in this product. So same thing, you know, taking the little microchamber down to the mason jar yeah. situation yeah. and seeing if we could coat it with this, let it cure, and then put it in the jar would we have the odor. And it actually worked.
0: Yeah, so I had one client do that before um, uh, we got involved and do the testing. And he had already put like zinzer, you know, uh, mm-hmm. like stain blocker, like, mm-hmm. um, like kills, similar, like surferol, I think was the chemical that's in it. So, yeah, when we did that, we didn't see the TCPP or the allochloride or coming off from the foam in the microchamber. We just saw tons of surferol, um, uh, which doesn't have an exposure guideline either. Um, But, yeah, there might be some coatings, but, you know, maybe call me old-fashioned. But when I got a chemical problem, I, I'm just reticent to, like, apply more chemicals on top of it. For one thing, your warranty is out the door.
1: Right, right. The right. Product. Well, not, and and I, tol- I totally agree with that mindset, bud. You yeah. Know, I, yeah, I, yeah. Honestly, I know it was like this is a client wanted to try this before going nuclear optioning and literally shredding the house. Yeah. And it's like, okay, we could try this. But they right. still no, weren't okay.
0: Just a foil face barrier, I think, is, you know… Is, It's just like with the additive air cleaner technology, you're playing a little bit of chemistry. We don't really know what we're doing, and it all depends on what chemicals are there and stuff. Same thing with putting chemicals on top of the foam. Um, Yeah, so, yeah, just a a physical barrier, I think, is a good B plan.
1: So your little study is interesting in that it it showed that, The prevalence of this, the things that you were finding off-gassing got worse with time, not, you know, which is like counterintuitive to VOCs and stuff, right? Normally you would expect they would get less over time.
0: Well, first of all, is it going to go away? The emissions are going to last like um, tens of decades, all right? (laughs) Or like not tens of decades, but, you know, 50 to 100 years. So the emission rates are rather slow. But there's so much of this in the foam that it's, it, it, yeah, it's not going to go away in a month, a year, two years, five years, 10 years. But yes, the emission rates will slow slowly and go down, but um, they, they don't go up in time. They only, but what they do go up in time is with temperature. So the spray foam testing season is the summer it and that's when people that have installed it they notice that the irritation and um odor are much much worse when the roof deck's 140 degrees f and it's pushing those chemicals out right Mm -hmm. so in the winter maybe not such a you know we're back east coast or whatever uh not so much so when we're usually testing these it's in the summer during a hot day not when it's raining but We try to get a kind of a worst case situation Mm -hmm. that's not unusual, just a hot, clear sun day with all the windows and doors closed, right? And um, um, yeah, and then our protocol for these investigations is two things. And I do a lot of litigation, right? So number one, is there a problem? So that means air testing. That means all the windows and doors are closed. There's no special air cleaners running, just like you would do for a mold inspection you know come into the place and test it with all the windows open and and, and air, uh, air filtration devices running so the it's closed up from the night before and then the air sampling involves um um and i, I i'm not gonna i guess i'll throw a pitch out here just because i'm hooked at the hip with uh berkeley analytical associates we were both scientists at LBL, and so this is a heads up for any of you that are contemplating doing air testing for a spray foam job that is perceivedly causing you irritation and everything. Uh, Certainly call me, Uh, I've got air testers around the country, but the problem is with some of the air testers, if just left on their own, they just do a set list, you know, a TO 15 or whatever of 63 chemicals. And you don't wanna do a set list, but there's no need to. When, when, when Al Hodgson and I at Berkeley Analytical are doing an investigation of a thing, we measure all the VOCs that come off the mass spectrometer, you know, up to like, you know, a couple micrograms per cubic meter. And then you, so one, you find out with all the windows and doors closed, you measure in the attic, maybe, maybe down in the living space, and of course outside because the fence is going to say, hey, those chemicals are outdoors, aren't they, Mr. Offerman? Right. And then you've, you find out you got a problem. It's usually allochloride, uh, sometimes BDMAEE, uh, which is a, um, a, a, another culprit um, that causes a lot of irritation. Um, and there's just a, usually a lot of TCPP, the fire retardant, mm-hmm. but no exposure guidelines for it. And as we were talking before the show, that doesn't mean when you don't have an exposure guideline, right. it's
1: it hasn't been defined.
0: <laughs> Usually I got a CAS number, a CAS number that's really long, meaning okay. it's pretty new. And they just haven't done the stuff on it right now. So uh, then you're just the guinea pig. We'll, we'll, we'll see. But um, so we do the emission rate, te- the, 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 the t- testing in the space with all the windows and doors closed. And then the after, and this is important because I made a mistake one time and I cut my foam sample out before the test. Well, that ruptures a lot of these cells and makes the concentrations much, much higher. So you want to do your air test first. Then we cut out like about an eight inch by eight inch huge hunk of the foam without disturbing that skin on the surface uh, that faces the air or whatever. And then it gets wrapped in a couple layers of foil and the sampling tubes, which are uh, thermal desorption tubes, and then the... um, um, Foam sample gets sent back to Berkeley Analytical. They do the microchamber test, and lo and behold, you find high concentrations in the home, and the microchamber shows high concentrations of the installed foam. So that's that's how we do it.
1: And the constituents that you're that you were identifying there, you've, you've said they're associated with the B-side component, right? With the resin side component. Right. The polyisocyanate, the, the isocyanates are are fairly toxic too, but they do flash off, right? They're happening oh, during the application they time. They're super high.
0: They're super reactive. They just go away on their own. I mean, for the applicator like you, mm-hmm. super bad. You get serious, you know, supply air, um, you know, uh, a respirator, you know, so. Um,
1: I can't tell you how many, uh, I've been on job sites so many times seeing applicators wearing full face AP, uh, APRs, you know, we're, we're, we're in, uh, wearing just regular masks without a supplied airline. I, oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. You can't less filter. so now, but they never ventilated. And I can't tell you how many times I'd see guys with multiple trucks, multiple proportioners on a commercial site with three, four guys in there just wearing full face masks with, you know, carbon yeah. cartridges. Well, like, no. for the
0: guys for the guys that are using paint stripper in the bathroom to paint strip the bathroom and are not wearing a respirator and don't have air, you won't hear from them because they're dead. Yeah, right. Yeah. So that it's a sad thing, though. I've done a bunch of those cases. And uh, fortunately, that's off the market now. There's no you can't get a paint stripper with right. methane chloride because that'll kill you. Yeah.
2: Um,
0: what else do we have about the? Uh, you were saying just now about the. Uh, um, the the other the, the the big thing is most all everyone is using
1: TCPP as so a fire retardant.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a long name. You know, Tris, one chloro two chloro uh, phosphate. You know, anytime you hear phosphate, we're talking fire retardant, and. Um, but basically, let's go to that slide, if you show, if can, like it's um, slide six or something, right? Or it was the showing um, it going. Um,
1: you're looking for the chart? Oh, yeah. this. Yeah, one. Okay.
0: First of all, kudos. Who knows Bernie Bloom? Bernie Bloom was a colleague of mine, and I got to attribute this chemistry to him. Unfortunately, Bernie passed away last year, and he lived a long life. He was a great guy. He worked for NASA. Um, super smart guy and uh, did a lot of work in spray foam, and he, he and I collaborated on a few things. So in the paper I gave, you know, you know, you put, um, you know, kudos to him. So here's, look Look at this TCPP molecule. It's a big, big molecule. It's phosphorus in the middle, like a lot of fire retardants. It's got three arms of chlorinated hydrocarbons on it. And if you look, uh, if you get a little water mixing with the TCPP, so how do these bad jobs happening? Is it mixing in the A and the B? Uh, maybe, but I think more often it's the storage of the resin in the warehouse that it gets moisture or whatever, or even after it's installed, perhaps even mm-hmm. humidity or whatever is causing But the reaction is TCPP plus water equals 1-chloral-2-propanol. Neither TCPP or 1-chloral-2-propanol have any exposure guidelines. And go to the next slide because now the one chloral 2 propanol um, can be, with a metal catalyst like copper or, or, or other metals, can convert then to allyl chloride. You can see the resemblance of it, of uh, these um, chemicals. Uh, they're just a hop, skip, and a jump. Allyl chloride, it was suspected as being a carcinogen, but it's not anymore but it's a severe uh like a very um potent irritant for upper respiratory eyes nose mouth so when you talk to people that have had a bad spray foam job uh the um you know they have the odor most of them are saying kind of fresh paint smell but the big thing is the eye irritation nose irritation mouth irritation.
1: what's interesting too is that um and you mentioned this, you know, a few few moments ago, um, that there there you suspect that there might be more issues with the application of the product as opposed to the product's formulation from yeah. the manufacturers. And I concur with that because one of the problems that I see <clears throat> with spray foam is that it is field applied, it's field mixed. It's one of the few products that you mix chemicals in the oh. field and you let technicians right. do that in, in real time without any right. real quality control. Sometimes, right? there's so many variables you've got the the temperature of the substrate you're applying to you've got your mix ratio you've got your pressure you've got the temperature of the chemicals in the barrels depending you know up here in the north it gets cold in the winter and and then you've got the other issue how deep you put the lift in how much spray foam at a time because some of these closed cell foams if you put too much they don't cure you know you have improper curing and they're goo in the center
0: right yeah i did that just the other day it was doing just a can of spray foam sealing up up in my attic uh an opening and i I kind of stuffed it with paper, so I didn't have to put so much foam on it, but I put it on too
1: thick. And
0: then when I went to trim it with the bread knife, uh, gooey. You know. yeah, it
1: didn't cure. It and, didn't. and that we've seen that with closed cell foam where, you know, I don't think there's any closed cell foam manufacturer that allows you to put on more than three inches at a time. Yeah, and it's usually the two pound closed cell foam is about three inch max, some, some or less. And I've seen applications where installers would put in like eight inches in one pass. And and the center looks like honey almost. It's just yeah. totally not cured. And yeah. the, the odor is just horrific.
0: Yeah. And then you're getting the fishy smell?
1: Yeah. The, the amines, yeah. right?
0: Yeah. So I have like literally 30. Uh, now, here's a little thing for um, a do-it-yourself thing. If you suspect that you're having an issue with smell or something from your spray foam, or for actually for anything that you can put in a jar, it doesn't cost anything. Just get yourself a one-pint wide-mouth canning jar. And um, if it's if you're you know if you want to prove because um, a lot of the foam companies you get their safety data sheet for the A side, the B side, the resin, but a lot of them have it also for the finished product. And if you go to the finished product safety data sheet, you look under physical characteristics. I think section eight. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they'll say odor, and sometimes they'll say none. Okay. Well, I don't know that they're going to give you a check for to fix it just based on a bell jar with their foam put in it, seal it up, and then open it up and say, "Does that smell like nothing?" And it, you know, most of mine, I have a couple with a little bit of a you know too much of the uh, the catalyst, the amine, mm-hmm. the fishy smell. Right. Uh, most of all my jars, and I got a lot of them. Are the kind of strong fresh paint smell, mm-hmm. not, kind of sweet almost, not not you know fishy or bad or, or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, yeah, um, but you can do that. Uh, you know, anytime you're doing a diagnostics for odor, uh, for you indoor air quality people, and stuff. Um, you don't usually need a lot of chemical analysis for that. We're talking odor, so yeah. you, you you can take stuff, put it in jars stuff like that
1: well that makes that makes sense anyway from an indoor air quality standpoint because granted you're using your client as a canary but the reality is Mm -hmm. the actual levels in parts per billion or parts per million is irrelevant it's really what the reaction of the occupant is right you know so if somebody takes a whiff and they react to it that's right right kind of a medieval way to do it but i mean it's true Right, it's it, it is absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's really the test that matters. What's interesting, you know, and, and we did a lot of that over the years too. You know, uh, doing cross sections and taking pieces of foam and putting them in mason jars and doing that. And and I would say that if it's if it was properly mixed, properly applied, and somebody really measured the parameters and did it right and applied it properly and did the timings right and everything, and then allowed it to sufficiently ventilate for 24 hours, usually there's not too much odor. You know, if it's yeah, so it it, it, it does. It, you can really vary that a lot by your application practices.
0: I think yeah. So here's the other thing: we have something out here called uh, uh, Architectural Specification thirteen fifty oh one three five oh, and it transformed the marketplace in the United States and the world. I mean, now you have to test the chemical emissions of pretty much all building products. And kudos to Leon Alvinentes, one of my colleagues from uh, the California Department of Health Service who headed up the 1350 uh, standard. And we did the big study with him up at the Capitol East End project in Sacramento, I don't know, 20 years ago. But all these things are changed now. So even all the products are measured. Of course, we have a special thing in California, which has now been adopted by the, the rest of the United States. Uh, for measuring formaldehyde emissions from composite wood products. It's all regulated.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But this is beyond formaldehyde. And by the way, formaldehyde, we don't measure for formaldehyde with spray foam cases. Um, um, it's its not its not the issue. It's not a chemical that's created or reaction product. So save your money. Don't test for isocyanates. That's the big disingenuous thing from the applicators or even, the, let's say, the manufacturers oh, well, let's test for isocyanates.
1: I think they're they're not gonna know, be there. they yeah.
0: know it's going to come back negative.
1: Yeah, yeah. Unless, unless you're testing for that right when the application yeah, is taking place, yeah. you know, when yeah. it's actively being applied, you're not going to get it. Yeah.
0: But this 1350 test, so you can get it. The, um, you know, GreenGuard is another one. They do mm-hmm. all these tests of the product. The problem is the 1350, it's like baby steps. We're only going to ask people to report these 30 or 40 chemicals but to pass to get the you know that you're approved as a product you only test for the 30 or 40 chemicals so when you get the compliance sheet for your foam made by either berkeley analytical or ul or whatever there is a full report behind it that measures all the chemicals but they you know at at this time they just started with the pass fail for these 30 chemicals So, but if you want to know all the chemicals that they measure, you can, Um, you just have to ask for it and you probably have to sign an NDA. Um, But the other thing is that um, um, it's only done at room temperature and it's a factory, uh, I'm talking about SPF now, Mm -hmm. it's a factory prepared sample. So it's perfect, right?
1: Right, right, they've got got the parameters exactly right, temps and everything.
0: they only go up to like C, I don't know, they don't go up to TCPP. You have to run your your gas chromatograph mass spectrometer out to catch TCPP. And you really need it at a high temperature. Now here's another thing that is in our paper, when we're doing the, and you mentioned it yourself, so you must have done it or whatever, microchamber. Um, So size of a hockey puck is the, the sample, right? And it's ultra pure air, but it's dry and but it's hot it's run at 35 degrees c so it's it's got like you know a hot roof temperature
2: mm-hmm.
0: but the dry air um you, you don't get any hydrolysis reactions like you would get with normal air uh, so that's a little bit of a drawback and i understand it's not so easy to provide the humidified source to the microchamber test but then we don't see the one chloral 2 propanol which is the First hydrolysis
1: product, and, and if that happens from the ambient moisture, just just where the product maybe is applied, yeah. Well that
0: that's that's what gives me I think it's not just moisture attacking it in the resin fifty five dollar drum. There's yeah. also like uh, perhaps a hydrolysis happening with the foam, and um, you know I, most of the cases I've been doing are open cell, but mm-hmm. there's been some closed cell, so there it's not like one is like free of uh, risk. Um,
1: we have different aspects with the two two, two yeah. chemicals cuz the open cell has a tendency from my experience to cure better because mm. it's all you know it, it breathes whereas right. the closed cell if you if you put a, a second layer or a third layer on too soon before the previous layer's cure you really have that opportunity to screw up that second and third layer it can get really bad really and, quick and i'm sure
0: that's a lot of pressure on the applicator because you know time is money and so sure. you know,
1: yeah, and they don't want to wait. I mean, the reality is you put the first pass on usually in a room. By the time you're done with that first pass, the two inches or whatever your first pass depth is, you usually can put the second pass on if you're going for a six-inch buildup right away. But it's the third pass. you got to get down below 100 degrees Fahrenheit with that product before you – with a lot of the products like BASF and some of the other ones before you put a third layer on it or that second layer doesn't cure properly because you right. actually trap it in its own heat it's an endothermic yeah. reaction going on there and okay. uh, you put you know you basically put R14 over the top of that reaction
0: yeah so here's another, here's another bernie bloom um um tribute uh uh bernie said you know if you want to put in spray foam the way to do it is to or not spray foam if you want to put in foam insulation uh go with the uh you know factory made foam panels right <laughs> Now, that won't give you the air uh, barrier performance that a spray foam application will, sure. but it's got you know super high R value. The, but the, the what I'm the point I'm going to make here is it's made in a factory, you know, under you know, and and if it, it's the bad backs, I mean, they smell it, they do QA QC, and you know, we recycle it and, and we make a new one, mm-hmm. but. All that's out the door with uh, spray foam in the uh, in the um, um, you know field mixing it. All those variables you said. So it, for that reason alone, because the repair is not simple, um, so I won't recommend it to anyone right now. Spray foam, um, I just can't. Um, although it, like I said, it, the title and of it the, does
1: perform well when it's properly it's applied. Product. That's the bad I've part. I've got it you in know? my house right here. Yeah, I was yeah.
0: lucky or maybe not lucky it's just it's those few individuals rather small prevalence i think that where it goes bad but the downside is so big that yeah
1: yeah yeah i mean well the thing is i guess so that there's a point for i know there's certified applicator programs and a lot of the manufacturers have that w- one of the other horrors is that we ran into a lot were applicators that would um switch from closed cell to open cell foam oh. and I heard this so many times in the field from applicators saying that, oh, the A sides are the same for all the products. So they just switch the B barrels and fire, fire the A part. So now they're now in the field, they're mixing a totally new product, sometimes different brands, A side with a B side. I mean, that happens a lot, but you have no idea which, because they don't want to bother you know, dealing with two transfer pumps. So they just leave the one in on the A side and go.
0: Well, here's another one.
1: So you make their, um, you know, they're making a random chemical in the field.
0: Here's another one. I just did a case uh, with a uh, bad application. It happened to be, um, again, I don't think it's the manufacturers, okay? But it, So it happened to be BASF product, spray foam. But then the people that sell the resin to the applicator, they buy it from BASF. And then apparently to adjust it for climates, they add more chemicals
1: yeah there's a winter so yes in the northeast there's winter mix they call it winter mix
0: oh see so i they actually was, do
1: yeah and i can't remember what the actual change is but they changed some, some, a component i thought it was on the b side but it's on the a side yeah, you're saying I, they know,
0: change it? I no, no i i just know that for this case you know i asked bsf for uh the chemicals and um to date, they haven't disclosed them, uh, the chemicals, but it didn't matter. I don't need it for our work. We're, we're measure, you know. It is TCPP in this particular BASF product, and, um, you know, it, it had BDMAEE in, in it. But um, it's uh, 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 when I talked further with the construction people, they said, yeah, we actually bought the product from this other company. That takes the BASFs and then adds chemicals. I said, Well, let's ask them what Ooh,
1: after market they're adding chemicals to a product. Yeah,
0: so they're the Ooh. distributor of the BASF product.
1: That seems questionable. And,
0: and th- yeah, I i just said, Well, you know, um, for this legal case, let's like uh, ask them what they added. Although we don't need to because we already measured what it's emitting and what's sure. in the home and it was bad and we don't really care. Who whose fault it was? Applicator, uh, distributor that added the stuff, um, whatever they can point fingers. But I, I was just curious from a scientific. Yeah. Add, but it That's was for, like you said, a climate adjusted product.
1: Yeah, and it's on the resin side because the problem is the resin when it gets colder, the viscosity gets a lot thicker, and mm. you you get off ratio. The A and B side oh. you can't match them because one's thicker than the other. So then you, you have to, like, mess around with your line temperatures and your and driving the pressure up on the B-side. There's a lot of, like, throttling to try to make things even out. But, again, there's so many variables.
0: And, Bob, what, so with the off-ratio thing, because I, so I've, I've always trotted that out as a potential for the cause of the bad foam. Um, now That's I'm on to it's this. Uh, yeah, so now I've been more keening in on the hydrolysis of the TCPP. But uh, in your... Um, experience uh when it is off ratio uh what is there too much of or too less of and what are the physical attributes that are bad from either an odor or a, a appearance thing is it Got too it, okay. much
1: too if much too much if there's too much it tends to get kind of uh fragile and brittle you see the crunchy crystalline effect. Oh, I mean, I'm yeah. talking in close cell foam. Closed cell foam. Um, on uh, if you're if you're too uh, B-side rich, it tends to stay gooey and not cure and not cure. It can stay soft. Yeah. So, so you know. So that that's. I mean that's. And, and that varies based yeah. on temperatures and a lot of other yeah. stuff. But because
0: you, you, uh, here's what'll happen if you have a bad foam job and then you approach the uh, applicator, he'll call in the manufacturer. The man right. and the manufacturer will take a sample of the foam. And the report will be consist of a picture of the foam and says that it looks good. <laughs> I mean, there's no chemical emission testing. Right.
1: It just it, it looks good, you know. Yes, uh, or sometimes and, it doesn't look good if they find it gooey in the center. They don't like that.
0: Yeah, that, that could be. But all the ones I've seen is it uh, it looks good. Um, yeah, and 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 then you, but you know, they got to do what they got to do, and they, yeah. they that's usually. What happens? They take a sample, and then after many weeks, you get back, and it looks good. You
1: know. <laughs> yeah. We we had a question from one of our audience members, yeah. I'm going to put it up on the screen here. So, uh, Patrick's asking, "Are you suggesting, Bud, that moisture gets into the drums during long-term storage before the factory seals are removed?"
0: Yeah. Good. Good question. I don't know. I just know that there's a potential for hydrolysis of TCPP uh, to go to one chloral, two propanol, and that's a hop, skip, and a jump from alochloride. chloride. Does that occur in the drum? Maybe. Um, we don't know. It needs to be researched for sure. I mean, I think this, I think in the conclusion, it, it, well, could it also just happen when you already have the foam installed and just from humidity? I don't know. Um, I think the hydrolysis re- reaction of TCPP is plausible. And I think it is researched because is TCPP an appropriate fire retardant for um for um, uh, spray foam, I don't know, but so
1: and that's a common that's, that's one. I, mean, I, I wasn't familiar I just, with that. Is that just, that's a just, common fire fire retardant, but in a lot of it, the ones in a lot
0: of foam, not just you know in you know your stuff, furniture, and um, there was another. Um, there's I looked at the indoor air twenty twenty two where I gave this one. There's another one on uh, uh, polyurethane foam chemical emissions, but it was sort of like cushions and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But that was an excellent question, uh, uh, and I don't know. I do believe the hydrolysis is a potential bad thing. I don't know, you know, why we don't have foam all, that's bad all the time then, you know, if there's TCBB in there. Yeah. So that, I did, well, I, I mean, just, it could be know. different
1: different environmental conditions. I, I, I suspect that very few applicators leave their drums open. Yeah. I mean – the the a side is pretty volatile so you can't if you leave the a side open, you'll destroy it um, right and the, the B side I mean it's resin, but still yeah I guess it, I guess it could get moisture in if you I don't left know. It in let's off say, it,
0: let's say you you know I had a third of a drum full and you know it's full of humid air because you know you just you know, there, they don't you don't purge it, it, it's here for two months I don't know that that could be, but these are the things that uh, uh the polyurethane foam industry needs to look into i think because it is happening across the country not a huge prevalence rate i don't think Mm -hmm. but um you know it's a it's it's a nightmare when it does happen to your home and so i think it deserves some research
1: we we were we were getting pretty high tech with it early on because when we were dabbling with spray foam, you know, we were as an indoor environmental remediation company. So our whole thing was indoor air quality. And we were just doing these corrective measures on the building performance side. And so, you know, we were over the top in 2008-2009 with ventilation. You know, we'd set up you know, full like full containments and ventilation, mm-hmm. and um, we even got to the point where we took nitrogen and would actually pump the uh, the drums when you're done for the day. Pull the transfer pumps and, pu- and oh. pump nitrogen into the tank to actually actually displace the oxygen, you know, oxygen and moist air out of it. So wow. you can, I mean, you can you can if it's you business, you know if you get a little more tech with it, you actually can make this stuff operate pretty much dead right. nuts on. Okay. You so know? It
0: just it's not even a huge research plan, a program oh. to study it, but let's confirm this hydrolysis uh, um, uh, uh, reaction pathway, let's, what are its roots? Is it like in the drum or is it whatever? But once we know it, we can, there's all these great ingenious ways that we can make it so that this great product, that's a great air barrier, and so can be used reliably 100% of the time. Yeah, but we're not there right now, so. Yeah, yeah I think it comes, it comes down temp- to education too
1: it comes down to education. The technicians that do the application, you know need to be properly trained and understand the products. and each product's different. you know you switch brands that you know the, there's little nuances to even using the different brands with temperatures and things like that. and you do need yeah. to uh, need to understand your products because you well,
0: want... let's get the robots out
1: there then yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting though, because this is um you you, you do have. With, with our whole desire to make buildings more energy efficient, lower our carbon footprint, obviously it it does seem like, you know, this product is a viable product to make buildings uh, perform better, right? Be more airtight, you know, be able to control uh, unwanted air intrusion and be able to, you know, create a pretty good U-value on that wall assembly, you know, to be able to do that. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I, g- I guess we need to do more study, right? Cause we need to figure out when there are failures, why they're happening and so we can prevent them, right? So that your right. what's your what's your takeaway from your, your study yeah. in this whole thing?
0: Well, I think that this um my conclusions in in the um um what where, was it the um here it is. I'll just um, look at them. <laughs> what oh, were I, I can get that right. up there for you. I got I'm it. Ready. Okay, you can put them up or whatever, but um it's at the very last oh, conclusions slide.
1: that slide. There we go. Yeah
0: okay so some spf installations underlying some and i think personally not a high percentage but it could be in the few percent result in chemical emissions that cause odor and irritation that and and the persistence of it you just do the emission rate and how much is in the foam we're talking you know 50 to 100 years now and one chlorotupro appear to be hydrolysis initiated tcp reaction products appear you know uh the air concentrations of these spf chemicals we definitely see they increase with outdoor air temperature uh, that's probably a no-brainer for most people to understand that you know like just like when you put the kettle on the water and on the the, the heat it up emission rates go up with sure. higher temperature uh, emissions of cl- uh, oral, allyl chloride seem to be uh, uh, one of the potent sensory irritants that we're dealing with. It. So the final thing, though, what do we take away? We need further research now to understand the chemical reactions of TCPP and its suitability as a fire retardant. So that means like, wh- where is this, hy- is this hydrolysis reaction uh, happening? And if so, where is it happening? Is it happening in the drum? Is it happening in the uh, application? Um, What are the issues with besides the physical ones you mentioned, Bob, about too much A getting a a crunchy one or or too much B getting a gooey one? Mm -hmm. My chemical emission side. Oh, and I think, I don't have it in front of me, but ASTM has a standard out now. I think it's due date for review is pretty soon but it's uh, for measurements of chemical emissions during the application. Okay. So
1: Which is a different, yeah, it's a different profile. That's more of a concern for the applicator.
0: Yeah, a different a different thing. But, you know, so there is some work being done by ASTM on that thing. But uh, yeah, I think we need to uh, find out the issues. And I think chloride is one of the main sensory culprits here, along with BDMAEE. <laughs> which is the uh, uh that particular uh, uh amine compound uh that's in some of them. Um so you can get uh this 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 paper um um I, I don't think I posted it on our website yet, but for any of you that just write me, any of your listeners, I'll send you the paper from Indoor Air 2022. Um, Otherwise, I think you have to buy the
1: proceedings or something. Probably, probably yeah. So yeah, I, yeah. that's why we had your video, and I didn't post it because I have a feeling Izzyak wouldn't be pleased with me if I did that.
0: Oh, I I don't know. I don't think I signed anything like that, but uh, oh. it's like my snake oil article. Uh, I was like, uh, got to get the word out, you know, and um, right. um, you know, damn the torpedoes.
1: You know, and that that's that's okay to take that approach. Um, I, I know you know we, we have a pretty good working relationship with isiac um you know because we yeah. do, we do the other show for them. we do the indoor environment show right. um and um yeah but it it, it is uh it, you raise interesting questions because and for me especially too because i you know i've had my hands in this over the years and mm-hmm. i i really believe that more of the issue was on the the isocyanate side and uh it, which I, again, I think there is an issue with that during the application time. If you're not properly ventilating, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, leaving occupants in the building when you're spraying with that stuff, that's not yeah. necessarily the greatest thing. No, no mm-hmm. it's, it's
0: it's definitely really bad, super bad during the application. But.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of documented uh, medical evidence that applicators in, in, in that, in the auto body pain industry, you know, when you're dealing with those polyisocyanates, uh, you get sensitized and you really can't handle those anymore at a certain point.
0: Yeah, yeah, exposed it, enough. Yeah, that it's it's a, a super uh super low exposure guidelines for that stuff.
1: Yeah, and that was always my big concern and, and even walking on a job site as a consultant when you know seeing a foam applicator and seeing them just wearing like an APR mask, you know, a full face <laughs> mask with, you know, with carbon cartridges, I'm like, "No, that is well, we've got respirators." And i go, "No, that's not that's not the the safety equipment you're supposed to be wearing. You're supposed to have outside air. You're not supposed to breathe this at all."
0: Yeah, when I first did my, uh, in November of 2020, started the pandemic, I did, uh, you know, like it was a mold inspection and, uh, you know, I, I put on my PAPR, you know, I trotted that out. I got the pump on my belt, you know, it actually the, the place was unoccupied, but I was just like being extra ca- cautious. Uh, and then I forgot that the full mask PAPR doesn't work with my glasses.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, unless you well, have one of those frames or something.
0: Yeah, I didn't. I, I so I could put it on, but without glasses, so I I couldn't really write down the start of the pump time and stop of uh-huh. the pump time and stuff like that. I had to kind of memorize it. Then go outside, take my things off. <laughs> but
1: yeah. I, I, early on in 2020, I, I was at you know going to the local grocery stores. We really locked it down for quite a few months in my house, and uh, yeah, I was wearing. <clears throat> I was going to a grocery store wearing a P100 mask. You know, going to a Wegman's with a you know with that on, and let me tell you, you get some looks. But I was like, hey, I you know I have this equipment. I don't know how transmissible this is. You know, early on, and I didn't have a problem yeah. with that.
0: Yesterday, I was uh, at a, a, a major hospital uh, uh, commissioning a new operating room, and so um, you know I was in the hospital all day. You know, amongst in, in the you know in the you know intensive care unit uh, with all these sick people and stuff like that so i definitely had my mask on you know i was all gowned up in a suit and and uh for that test for that particular hospital was um testing uh viable like uh uh fungi and bacteria in the air and uh also like particle counts and stuff uh it was kind of a i i I tried to get the picture because i wanted to share it with your group here So. The, it was a gorgeous operating room. It's called a hybrid operating room, meaning they have the imaging there and the surgery suite.
1: Oh, right, all together, all together. So that you don't have to go
0: down the hall to that. But it was just, you know, it looked like Johnny Ives, if you know him. He's Apple guy. Was yeah. an Apple guy. He designed all the Apple stuff. So Bauhaus kind of design school. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, soft curves. Mm-hmm. Everything's white, right? Uh, right. Uh, you know, to just a gorgeous uh, uh, operating room. And uh, so, as you know, in this business, you get to go to a lot of places. And so,
1: some of them are not that desirable, too. Uh, I'll tell you the sad. You, thing you see the ugly here, side you know, of things that nobody else sees.
0: Here, Here's the sad thing. I do a lot of mold inspections for uh, um, tenants. Uh, usually I'm working for a law firm representing the tenants and bless their souls. That there are law firms that will take on the cases for these tenants. These are low-income housing. It is—it just makes me cry. Uh, it is so sad to walk in and see the conditions that are in these places. And for those of you listening that are mold inspectors and everything, a couple things I'll just leave with you that I would—that I get these reports by my desk all the time of course the windows and doors should be closed and all air purifiers should be off either during the pre mitigation assessment or post mitigation. But the other thing is moisture is super important. Now the ACGIH bioaerosol, it's the red book, it's the Bible of you know uh, bioaerosols including mold is being revised right now, I'm on the committee and one of the really important things for mold inspectors is to do your best to check the ventilation out. So in an apartment, oftentimes it's just openable windows. Oftentimes in you know, some of these low income stuff, there's a bedroom and there's no window. This is against the code. And so for legal cases, when you have code violations, that's really good to, um, to put. And also open the window. Does it open? No, they're all painted shut. They don't open. Otherwise, it should be a minimum of 4% of the floor area for each room. So you go measure the floor area, easy. Double-hung window or slider, just, you know, opening. Awnings, encasement windows, you drop a perpendicular line from the glass to the edge where it closes. Okay. That's – it, you know the oh, little so you don't get to open.
1: You don't get to full open.
0: Well, I'm, I'm wondering, like, do you count the little triangles on the side? You mm-hmm.
1: know, no. all oh, right right, Because you're picking those up.
0: It, you, it yeah. was the Germans that figured this out. The effective area of our casement or an awning. Drop a line perpendicular to. So you know if it's open 90 degrees, it's you know the full thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And if it's open just halfway, you just drop that perpendicular to the closed edge, and uh, and then the width.
1: Makes sense. Yeah,
0: it's yeah. really. I think it's important for mold. And then, of course, the uh, get your energy conservator. I hate to drop the lines here, but they make a great little exhaust hood. It looks like something you wash your dishes in. It mm-hmm. just puts it up against the the bathroom fan, mm-hmm. so you use your uh, you know DG seven hundred or whatever, right? To measure the pressure. So
1: you're old school too. You still have DG seven hundreds. I, I know. Do. I really. I still, like have, I still have a
0: couple of them. I, I want the new one. Oh, I got even older ones than that, but they're they're great. But yeah, measure the exhaust fan. And I don't mean to throw lines out, but if you are got lower income or multifamily home, put in the Panasonic Whisper Green fan. Program it to run at a low speed all the time.
1: Right, you get and some ventilation.
0: one switch in the wall that turns on the light, flips it into high speed. When you turn the light off, a goat stays on for 10 minutes. Right. Don't don't buy the RH sensor, just uh, program it like that. And makes sense. Uh, your lower income places that are struggling with condensation and stuff, well, that's a good line of defense.
1: Yeah, I mean that that's that certainly makes sense. Um, I, you know, obviously, it seems like the the most underserved communities, obviously, have you know the lower demographic housing, which ha- is in the worst repair, and which these are the people that have the worst medical outcomes, right? You know, yeah. I mean, it's it's like it just. It, it snowballs. I mean, they're not, you know, you have in, poor in, medical in items, People are in bad in, environments.
0: and Oftentimes they're immigrants, and so they don't speak up. And it's just, it's just breaks my heart. I mean, I just come home, I'm just a mess afterwards. Uh, I just can't believe that people are allowed to live in a place like that.
1: Yeah, and people profit from it, which is even more. It's awful. It's, yeah, I I hear you. But hear we're, ya. We're,
0: we're suing him every day, so.
1: Yeah. I mean, the problem is, is there seems to be, uh, you know, ugly heads that can rear themselves uh, as soon as you get rid of some, you know, you fig- think it, it, it's just a never ending socioeconomic battle in this country. I think yeah. it's frustrating. Yeah. Well, we're getting to the point where we're almost out of time. This went fast, bud.
0: You know, it Bob, it's always good to talk to you. and And especially this time, I did not know you got your former SPF applicator.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, when you reached out to me with your paper, I I said, yeah, yeah, this is like really, uh, really interesting. Um, Oh, it's interesting. Uh, Pat put another one in here. And, uh, uh, you know, let me just flash this one up here because I think this is an interesting one for you to comment on. This is a follow up question I didn't see until just now. Mm -hmm. Bear with me. I'll get it on the screen.
0: It's always the tough question that comes at the end.
1: Right at the yeah. end. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we're, we're going to get part of it. Okay. So the question uh, he did a uh, th- uh, three lift, six inch total, so two inches at a time, probably, right? Shaved all the walls flush to five five. The odors during the application were strong as usual, but the odors while shaving, and I'll read the rest of it the foam back to wall depth were worse. What would cause that?
0: Uh, I, I, I don't, don't know. know that, as you were shaving, because you're yeah.
1: shaving the coat, the the the, the sealed edge off.
0: Well, I I know having done that for one job where I collected my foam sample, it was a couple hours before I did the air sample. But, it, it yeah, when you cut those, you'll notice it when you do the jar test when you mm-hmm. break the foam up. It really smells. Mm-hmm. You know, you're rupturing these cells and stuff like right. that. The odors during application were strong as usual, but the odors while shaped. Oh yeah. So I think you're just yeah, yeah, and, and and then that goes away in an hour or two. So. um yeah, yeah, that's
1: ventilation is critical, you know, during during application, immediately after. I yeah. always took exception with applicators that would allow families to stay in a house when they're doing application. And allow pets to stay in the house. It's like, I, get your pets out too. Your, your yeah. dog shouldn't be there breathing that stuff either.
0: Yeah, and if you have a canary, it'll be dead.
1: There you go. So,
0: uh, this was a good, little quick one, but your brand new uh, oven that you put into self-cleaning mode. Uh, for those ovens that had insulation with urea formaldehyde insulation. Now, a lot of manufacturers of insulation, um, like I think Owens Cornings, have gone to acrylic binders. And you mm-hmm. don't have this problem. But it was like an issue. The first time they did the self-cleaning in the oven with uh, UF uh, resin insulation, their bird died. <laughs> so You can look it up on the internet. They're That's different. not good. Yeah. And you always wondered that when you're making the uh, the ovens, why don't at the end of the line, why don't they just do one self-cleaning operation? Because it's only the first self-cleaning one that bakes everything off and would that, make
1: bird dye. the bird die. Yeah, right. Because once you've done that, then you don't have those constituents aren't coming out of the device. No,
0: they only have the binder in there for the fabricators. Mm-hmm. and everything. But once it's all inside the thing, they don't need the binder and it bakes off during the first. Uh,
1: That's interesting.
0: Yeah.
1: Wow. Well, uh, we covered a lot of territory in a short short amount of time. I, so I was thinking back when I Terry Terry Brennan was on uh, about a month ago. You month know, I'm his
0: soulmate. You know,
1: I, I I know that you guys are close. But I'm thinking of the first time I met you, and I believe it was at. Remember when EPA had trained the trainer for the building air quality? It yeah. was either in Alexandria, Virginia, or in Crystal City. I can't remember where they held it. And we met at that because I was it was a couple day event.
0: Was that with Susan Womble? Yes. And, yeah, I remember. Um,
1: Bill Turner. I remember and Sha- relaxing I remember Sha- out Sha- on
0: some big rock with a bunch of pe- folks afterwards. We had some beers and stuff. It was fun.
1: I, I, anyway, that was an interesting time. But that was like 1992 or 93. That's a long time ago. I know. Where'd they go, bud?
0: Yeah, I don't know.
1: <laughs> Those years went fast.
0: But I, I'm not going anywhere. I I, I love my work. It's,
1: uh, you can it, see it though. You can you, you have a passion for it, and that, that was that was my cl- kind of closing question for you. Is so you know you've been in the industry a long time, a little bit longer than me, I think. You're you're I don't know if you're older than me or not, but we're you know we're we're born
0: in fifty three, so
1: oh a lot older. Okay, I was born in fifty nine, so you're six years mm-hmm. older than me. Um, so you've been at it for a long time in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but you just you're gonna you're gonna keep riding it.
0: Yeah. So if I was just having to do the same thing over and again, I'd probably be t- tired of it, but. Um, the, the forensic work, the like, you know, that's weird. What's doing this? That problem solving. I just get so energized by that. It's like a puzzle every day. Um, I love working on those types of things. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm uh, enjoying it. I'll, I'll work to the day I die.
1: <laughs> that's. Kind of, I'm at the same point. I'm. I'm not sure if it's it, It's because I love it so much, or that my wife has horses. Uh, oh, she's younger and she owns exactly. horses. So you, you realize that I, I have learned one thing in our 13 years together. I've learned how to make a small fortune in the equine industry. Oh, well, I you love start that. with a large fortune. And
0: I learned that I can sometimes go pull my car over and I see horses and I'll hop the fence like on a highway where there's no people. Mm-hmm. And if there's an apple tree, I can grab the apple. They do like apples. Yeah, they'll come over, and then I can grab their mane and hop on them and ride them around.
1: This is something you've actually done.
0: Yeah. Wow. And then then you get off the horse, and you know whatever, and then you go get another apple. They won't come by back again. Well,
1: yeah, I guess you've kind of you've kind of played the card.
0: Yeah, yeah. But I, I a big horse person uh, growing up, uh, don't have any of my own. Never had any of my own. But I love. Or I want an aftershave that smells like a stable. So a little oh bit. man, you
1: sound like my wife. That's crazy, bud. Yeah, like, the She's like oh, I love the smell. I'm like, ah, oh, her car smells it. like horses.
0: That's Such a manly smell.
1: I guess. I mean, I love them. I mean, I. So you know, and we have two donkeys. And their nose. Right? Their nose. Oh, they're oh, nose. so soft and velvety. Oh yeah. How about donkeys, though? See, I, we have two donkeys too, and they're they're even more fun.
0: But you have to be careful. Um, some horses, you know, when they do bite you, they bite
1: you where. shoulder oh yeah right yeah so it hurts yeah 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 (laughs) anyway well yeah we i think we covered we covered most everything here um obviously anytime you want to come back you've got a topic you reach out because it's like uh you're just you're you're a wealth of information and you know you've been at it and i i especially appreciate the fact bud that you come from the research side because Mm -hmm. i i think there's a lot of practitioners that maybe just they don't have that piece of the puzzle, they don't look at things that analytically. yep and uh, I think that I, makes you a, an amazing uh, researcher.
0: Is 3D printing so there's lots of technologies out there for 3D printing and the chemical emissions and stuff, and uh, you know, but uh, that's kind of a new thing, so we're oh, yeah. uh, doing some work on that, and we'll see uh, 3D printers.
1: <laughs> interesting, interesting. Well, I think there, there's no shortage of uh constituents that are going to affect our indoor environments uh you know and it's you know it's funny we've been doing this for 30 plus years and we haven't even i think we haven't even brushed the surface of where we need to get in my opinion you know we i'm
0: just waiting to go up to the iss you know i want to go you know i think we need to check yeah. the air up there here it really stinks but uh
1: I, I, it's got to be pretty nasty i bet it's yeah i mean that thing's been up there a long time.
0: Yeah. Houston, we got a problem.
1: Yeah. That's, that's well, you know what? Uh I'll be down here watching your mission. How's that? <laughs> so, um yeah, so we're so we're back next week, uh same bad time, same bad channel. Our guest next week is Andrew Pace uh from the Green Design Center. He's going to be talking about healthy versus green, which uh that should be an interesting topic. Mm-hmm. Um I just wanted to point out that uh you know, here we are at healthy indoors, uh healthyindoors.com is where kind of our central clearinghouse for a lot of our uh, content. Basically, the magazine, Healthy Indoors Magazine, all their issues. Um, we we actually are about ready to celebrate our ninth birthday, which that in of itself seems crazy that we're actually, uh, in two weeks, we'll have been doing this for nine years. It mm-hmm. happened really fast. Uh, Healthyindoors.com, though, is a great place to get to that stuff. We also have an online global community uh, platform that we launched a while back. Some of you may be watching the show here. Uh, right now but this is a platform that if you're not part of this you should you should get involved um, it's it's gonna give you the opportunity to actually um, interact with people your peers other verticals in the industry from around the globe um, so we're looking forward to a really exciting year with that coming up and uh, that's all the great stuff we got going on uh, so, uh, without further ado, um, I want to thank Bud Offram for taking time out of his busy day to uh, join us on the show. This is fantastic. Um, again, we'll see you next week, Bud. We'll, we'll, we'll talk soon. It, I'm sure.
0: It's been really good. Thank it's,
1: you. It, it's it's all, it's always a pleasure. So the show will be available, uh, the recordings immediately after the show on our community, as well as the audio podcast will be up there later today too. So
0: you're the best, Bob.
1: I, uh, well, th- from you that, that means something. Thanks, Bud. I appreciate that. Um, So I guess until next week, uh, I'm Bob Krell, uh, your host and uh, founder and publisher of Healthy Indoors. Uh, Definitely uh, looking forward to see you next week's show and every show thereafter. So we'll see you soon.